Good morning, Judith. Good morning, Sonia. Welcome to the Coaches Cup podcast. I am Sonia Green from Sonia Green Coaching. And I am Coach Judith Fender, one of the amazing coaches with the NoBS Weight Loss Program. And this morning we have a very timely topic, I think. We're going to talk about compassion fatigue. Judith. Tell us, why are we talking about compassion fatigue? Oh, Sonia, well, on so many levels, right? Both as coaches, both as people living in the real world in the current set of circumstances with COVID, as we have our children who are teachers, as you are a teacher yourself, as we coach our nurses, as we coach our caregivers, this vocabulary that we are all being exposed to and experiencing, I think we both felt like deserved to be teased out so that we are all familiar with what compassion fatigue is. How's it different than burnout? What can we do about it and how to recognize it? Right. If not in ourselves, in the people we care about the most, because chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you yourself are a caregiver to perhaps an aging parent or someone very close to you, or you work you're like a, the first responder type thing. You are the teacher, you are the nurse, you are the doctor, and you are trying to live your life and be compassionate <laughs> to others uh-huh. and yourself first, right? Which it's always going to come back to self-care y'all. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and start at the top. Yeah. <laughs> Take care I, of yourself. <laughs> absolutely. Your cup has to be filled. We're going to repeat that but your cup Mm -hmm. has to be full before you can go around and Mm -hmm. even think about giving anybody else a drink. Bottoms up. (laughs) And we know freaking game. (laughs) I was thinking of water, but (laughs) it's coffee. I have coffee. No, (laughs) I thought it was interesting that the term compassion fatigue was only coined in 1995. Yes. Charles Wrigley was the one who started that. And I thought so too, that it's so recent. Yes. Recent. And, and yet it's pervasive in our society today. People talk about it. They throw the term around. And can you imagine if we didn't have this vocabulary? I can't imagine not. What were yeah. we calling it before 1995 life? I mean, just, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I think, I think that's, that's part of the thing, you know, when you name something, then you can fix it. Then you can attack the problem. If it doesn't have a name, if you're failing it, but it doesn't have a name, then that's when we start guilting ourselves. Well, nobody else feels this way. Nobody else feels this burden. That's the way imposter syndrome was for me before it had a name. I didn't know what to do with it other than feel like I was the only person on the planet doing it. Right. With just goes with just about any other human feeling that we're feeling. If we don't talk about it, we're all internalizing it and making yes. it mean something bad about ourselves. Yes, absolutely. So that's why I think it's really important for us to have this conversation today. So tell us what compassion fatigue is. It relates to how we think we cannot help, right? The bottom line is It's the belief about the self, the belief that we can't help, um, not being able to give to the greater good. Mm -hmm. It's a set of exhaustion that kicks in 
And the most important thing as we are teasing out the differences between compassion fatigue and burnout in, in my research was, and, and that helped me understand this is compassion fatigue is the precursor to burnout. Mm-hmm. It is that stage where you can have still have personal awareness and you are not it's the indicator light, just like Corinne yeah. teaches us when you, if you notice yourself feeling these things, like this is your indicator to check in, proceed with caution. Yeah. You have been warned. It is time to take care of yourself. Yeah. I, I think this dovetails really nicely with, we did a couple of weeks ago, an episode on kindness and mm-hmm. we were talking about empathy and you mentioned that empathy is being willing to walk with someone in the rain or stand beside someone in the rain rather than getting in their shoes Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. compassion fatigue often happens when rather than just walking beside that person, we want to take on that mantle of suffering that they are in. And we feel the need, like we have to take it on. We're somehow lightening their load if we carry it and maybe carry them instead of allowing them to carry it. Yeah. Well, compassion fatigue too, as you're saying that it is not, not being nice. <laughs> it's not, right. It's not that lack of tired of being nice type thing. No, I came across that. And I just want to inter- interject that as a, because it is exact the opposite. It's if we could say caring too much yeah, and not having good boundaries, mm-hmm. good awareness, probably not taking care of yourself not getting good sleep, not drinking, not hydrating, not having your cup full. Here we go. All coming back. I was doing some research and, and there's a researcher who talks a lot about compassion. And when we get into compassion fatigue and how there's a difference oftentimes, and I think we have in today's society, we have kind of the perfect example of this with COVID with natural disasters that happen in places where people become so overwhelmed by the magnitude of the need Hmm. that it causes them to freeze and maybe become somewhat apathetic. Mm -hmm. And this, the, what I was reading was actually, it was research done prior to COVID but she used the example of the Syrian refugee crisis that was a couple of years ago, I guess about three or four years ago, and how the magnitude of that was so great that people largely ignored it until the story came across about the little boy who drowned, mm. that mm-hmm. they found his body on the, on the beach, which was such a difficult story, but that personalized it for people. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, people were able to, I guess, check in and start feeling that compassion toward that situation. But until then, it was so enormous and faceless and nameless. It wasn't the person next door who just lost their house in a fire. It wasn't, you know, your best friend who had cancer. And so sometimes we, we, freeze just by the enormity of the situation. Right. Because it's, it's a, the freeze response is a coping mechanism. Yes. No more. I can't take any more. I'm shutting down. Um, we might hear that also. It's like a, it's a trauma response. Yes. That it's self self self-protection. Yeah. Yeah. And we can feel that way 
when it's, when it is the person next door, when it is our best friend, we can, we can get to that point then too, Mm -hmm. uh, of that freeze response. But I thought it was interesting that, you know, we, we think today first about COVID and people who are in that front line, it's going to be absolutely normal if they get to a point where they feel numb or apathetic because they have overwhelmed their system with, with all of the need, the magnitude of the need. Right. And that, and that coming from a space of the thoughts, yes, the overwhelming thoughts and the actual, you know, that inability to have a good boundary or to have that self ability to self-reflect, which is a huge part of a strategy to combating um, compassion fatigue is checking in with yourself and self-reflecting and having others to talk to and reflect on where you're at and knowing, right. One of the uh, symptoms is the inability to know that you're even tired steps in compassion fatigue. You're like, you're not even recognizing your own hunger or your own tiredness. Yeah. And I can think of examples where I've seen that in people. I've looked at them in a moment of their own personal, you know, crisis, they're helping a family member or they're dealing with some kind of issue. And you look at them and you can see immediately that they really need, they need to rest or they, they look exhausted, you know, all of those physical signs are there and, and they haven't even checked in. Like they're not even aware of it. It's almost like they're moving through on autopilot. Right. Right. Well, I mean, autopilot, right. That's thank goodness for that. Yeah. I was watching the the video by Kevin Briggs and he's worked the golden gate bridge, right. He's an officer for years and he's talking about ultimately where I want to get to this. He, he introduces a model called release and it's like a strategy to check in with your coworkers on recognizing the symptoms of compassion fatigue, but he's talking about several things like just to keep coming back to differentiating what this is and is not when working the golden gate bridge. Many of you guys know, like it's the most, it's like a destination suicide place. Right. Mm -hmm. And he talks about, well, the, the empathy component that the officers practice is standing on the edge without their life vests on right? Like literally not in the rain, but on the edge without just like them and trying to be with them in those moments and being kind and listening. And then he talks about the, uh, one of his coworkers who experiences, you know, is like escorting someone off the bridge and there's a gap where there is no netting. Mm -hmm. And in that gap is land at the bottom and not water and how she always had a protocol where she would defend, you know, place her bicycle. She was on a bicycle cop and she would put the bicycle between her and the person. And so they, they couldn't access, like jump in front of her. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like as kind of a block as she's gently while they're still willingly walking. Mm -hmm. And this particular time she did not do it. And this person jumped and of course um, died. And he talks about how, he checked in with, with her and then how it started showing up days after, mm-hmm. right. And the days after this experience of compassion fatigue, because she had depersonalized, she was starting to miss work. She was not sleeping. 
she was crying, like all of those components. Yeah. But, but, yeah, but thinking about that being like a trauma response, experiencing yeah. that, that it would be traumatic. Mm-hmm. That would be too, like overwhelming the senses, all of that. Yeah. And that moment, witnessing what she witnessed, it, the brain can't process. Right. That's what we were talking about earlier, how compassion fatigue, you were talking about how it comes from our thoughts mm-hmm. and the overwhelm. It's too big. It's, I can't handle it. And it is a matter of thoughts, but it also can be that trauma mm-hmm. response. And we have to get to a place where we can acknowledge the trauma mm-hmm. and our connection to it before we can really heal and move beyond that. The awareness that I have as I study with this and as someone who's had anxiety and who's come through um, executive function disability, for lack of a better word to call it, um, when you are in anxiety or in a, a trauma response state and you are working on thoughts and trying to have new feelings. And this is my, this is my awareness that it is like, if I I could run two models in my head and cognitively, I could see where I wanted to be, but my body could not, I could not get to a new feeling Mm -hmm. while still in the anxiety, in the trauma, you know, and that comes from a lot of awareness and practicing. And when I think back to, I don't even know, I I think that this still just keeps unfolding that, that this trauma response chronic versus isolated or incidental. (laughs) Like her response, that would be an incidental response. Yes. I'm sorry, her, by her, I mean the, the cop that you were just talking about, because it is a direct response to the incident that happened to her rather than the replaying of a trauma that happened that you've been replaying for years. Right. And where, you know, and I don't know what, I don't know this woman's thing, but she could be triggered futurely moving forward. Oh, absolutely. On there had having to address her thoughts and feelings and processing her anxiety and her. Yeah. It, well, it is, it is a human brain that wants to jump ahead and solve (laughs) Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's cultural too. I, I do think with some of the, the research that we've done in the past, I do think part of it is cultural in that America, <laughs> at least Western thought is to jump in and solve a problem mm-hmm. before, so that we don't have to deal with the bad stuff, mm-hmm. but you always folks, there is no shortcut around processing you have to process your experiences. Yeah. What you resist persists. Yes. That's like our 101, right? It's, and it's so true. And we hear it. And who wants to, who wants to feel all of these feelings? Yeah. Who wants to take all this time? Well, let me tell you what you're going to take it. (laughs) And you're going to, you're going to take it and you're going to process it and heal from it. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to keep reliving it and never mm-hmm. move forward. Mm-hmm. So and what do you have better to do? And it's learning all of this ultimately comes back to learning to be mindful, learning to take care of yourself, learning to process the emotion, learning to have the relationship with yourself that you are a human and you've got all these feelings and thoughts. And how is this 
and developing rituals, habits that serve you. Yes. Creating, I, you know, intentional- I, I think a lot of times we, we try to tell ourselves that we need to stop the train, stop everything that's going on in order to focus on healing ourselves. But very few people have that luxury. We have to do this work in the midst of compassion fatigue sometimes, especially if if it's somebody that's in a long-term care situation. We can't just stop. You can't just quit your job. I mean, maybe you can. That's great. But Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people who can't just quit their jobs or leave the person they're taking care of. You don't have to do that to begin the healing process, to begin the mindfulness process. Agreed. You can do it in the midst of it. You just have to be intentional about it. Mm -hmm. You have to create a space for it. When you gave that train analogy, I was thinking of, uh, so in this research, I came across, I can't quote who it was. I can't remember, but he's talking about um, resiliency right? That we expect resiliency from people. Yeah. And he says that resiliency is not our ability to bounce back. It's not like, you know, he said, you got a ball and people think resiliency is like, you're going to throw that ball against a wall. And he says, the assumption that we make is that the person holding the ball is stable. And we're assuming that we're going to hit a wall that's yeah. stable. Yeah. That we're, yeah. you know, that, but what really we're on a moving train and that life is in change and in flux. Yeah. And if you have that ball, you're going to be throw, just throwing it out the train and Lord knows what you're going to hit because that wall's moving. Yeah. Or if you hit anything, right. You exactly. may just lose like, the ball. You're going to hit it, it exactly like that. And so resiliency is the ability to adapt to change in the moment, right? Yeah. Is we are always adapting. And if we're not adapting, then we're becoming stagnant and we're doing some of this ineffective work or not work we are going we're creating a pathway that but it is fatigue yeah it it is it's not positive work but it's certainly work Mm -hmm. because look at the energy it takes look at the energy we expend while in compassion fatigue Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know I'm always talking about the, the energy being, being aware of how much energy I'm spending on, on something. And I think many times we think compassion is like energy. We think that, that we have, okay, here's my bucket of compassion and I'll give it out until my bucket's empty. And then my compassion's all gone. Mm -hmm. And compassion doesn't have to be like that, Mm -hmm. but it is up to us to keep ourselves in a healthy place where we have the compassion that we can keep giving. Mm -hmm. Joshua Hammond was someone I was watching and he gave that analogy. When you said that bucket, he had a bottle of water and he starts shaking the water Mm -hmm. and he says, why is the water on the floor? I'll ask you, why is the water on the floor? Because I shook it out of the bottle. And you know, eh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he shakes it again and he asks the group, why is the water on the floor? And, you know, eh, no one's getting in. He says, because there was water in the bottle. Yeah. And until yes. we learn that com- the compassion is there, mm-hmm. no matter what, and seeing the value and that there's, there's always water yeah. in the bottle. Yeah, was- no, that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic analogy. And that, and that shaking 
is always going to happen. Well, yeah, that's, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. The shaking is always going to happen. That's shaking life is that's life. Really yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because we are constantly, even if you're not in a situation today where you are having to give care to someone mm-hmm. or something, I read several studies on veterinarians mm. and compassion fatigue. Interesting. And it, it is interesting because here's, I, we've probably talked about this before, but I thought when I was younger, I thought a lot about being, becoming a vet. Mm. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Cause we we're always running. <laughs> but ultimately I decided not to, because I thought I can't deal with losing mm. patients. Mm. Yeah. The animals I can't. And so it was, you know, looking back, I think I took the path that was right for me, but that was a mistaken view. That was, I have a limit to the compassion I can give and I can't, I don't want to feel all of that over and over again. This is interesting because that I want to back up because what that mindset, because for there to be, what did we call it? Compassion, satisfaction. Uh-huh. That this was important to note when we think about where we're at, like, cause there, there's a thing called the compassion satisfaction scale. Y'all, I do not have a reference for that, but you know, checking in with yourself and making sure you're feeling willing to help, willing to help when you're called to help. So yeah. as you're working throughout your day, uh, you know, are you able to be pleasant and helpful to others? Do you feel like you're contributing to the team or to your colleagues and checking in? And are you realistically able to recognize your own hunger, tiredness, Mm -hmm. fear, or grumpiness? Are you realistically caring for yourself again, coming back to kind of how we started at the beginning? Yes. Ending like this is a full circle and the solution all comes back to you. Well, let's, let's talk about how to administer that self-care because self-compassion is the first step in combating compassion fatigue. So you have mentioned a couple of those. What are those components of self-care that are so critical? The first one that you, that I think of is always sleep. Sleep, right? It. <laughs> I'm going to say it's the four basics for those of y'all in no BS. It is sleep, yeah. water, having a plan, taking care of yourself in the morning, assessing yourself, checking in, doing some reflecting journaling, checking in with a friend. Yeah. Like having a plan. Life's going to happen. Life happens on the daily. It mm-hmm. absolutely happens on the daily. And so having, having those, those self-care practices in place is, mm-hmm. is the key. And maybe the first part you mentioned earlier, you know, you have to recognize, you have to recognize that you're in that space. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's when you decide it's time to get a mm-hmm. coach or mm-hmm. it's time to, to see a therapist, but it's time to get someone else involved so that I can really explore what's going on here and how to best care for myself. You don't have to, not everybody can do that and you can do the work on your own, but mm-hmm. it can speed up the process sometimes if you have the ability to, to get somebody who can help you. Right. And the value in having a coach or someone that can help you or be there for you is 
someone who's, who's done the work. Yes. And, and by the work we mean who practices the practice and walks, the walk and talks, the talk, yeah. who, who can see your journey with a perspective. Yeah. The, the journaling, the mm-hmm. meditation, the taking time, breath work, they are finding out so many interesting things about just taking five minutes a day to do breath work, the breathing, the deep breathing exercises, five minutes a day to do some kind of meditation exercise can be so useful. And folks, that is free. You can find any resources on the internet for how to do that. Mm -hmm. And what I love so much as I think about my journey and how I've come full circle in learning all of these things is it all comes back to like the most basic self-care, like trusting our bodies, learn to listen to your body, learning to check into your body. What am I feeling right now? Acknowledging the feelings, being able to label the feelings and just developing that relationship with yourself and how you manage your body and your thinking and your life. It's just so, it sounds, I make it sound so simple. Well, we all have to go through our process to get here. Right. And one of the things that I am always telling my clients, my coaching clients is it's not going to be intuitive. If it was intuitive, you would have been doing it for the last 40 years or 50 years. Mm -hmm. So set a timer, Mm -hmm. set a timer twice a day to go off on your phone. And when that timer goes off, you know, oh, it's time to check in with my body. Mm-hmm. It's time to disengage from all this cerebral work I'm doing and check in. What am I feeling in this moment? Why am I feeling this way? What, what sensations do I feel in my body? Mm-hmm. It can't become intuitive until you practice it. Mm-hmm. And that's what many times people think they're just supposed to get it. And you're mm-hmm. not, if you were supposed to get it, you would have gotten it. You have to practice it. It's like anything else. It is. I'm going to offer one, one nugget. You know, we've got our life coach exam coming up and Brooke talks about, you have to learn to manage your mind down to the minute and developing that relationship with, mm-hmm. you know, and what I heard, which I think I must've said to coach MJ at least a hundred times. And probably you was about trying to manage frustration in the moment mm-hmm. that I have it down to like to the second. I know when I'm in frustration and that the benefit of learning a five minute walk. And so if we just take that simple example of feeling your feeling in that, what the benefit of knowing that about myself mm-hmm. and how many times I tried to motor past it, yeah. <laughs> ignore it yeah. and, and not getting good results, but that the, the best indicator, the best thing to do is when I feel it is to just, okay, hands off. Mm-hmm. Where I'm going to go. My practice is to go for a walk, get out, get step away from the computer, go outside, get in touch with nature, yes. take some breaths, decompress, unwind, come back. And then lo and behold, the things I'm looking for, is just like magic. It's right there. I see it. Yeah. yeah. And it was there all along, but you couldn't have told me 10 minutes ago. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the beauty of it. You know, we think these One of the reasons we stay in overwhelm or we stay in compassion fatigue or we stay in a lot of these things that we that we deal with is we think it's going to be too painful or it's going to take too long to -hmm. get over it. I'm Mm -hmm. 50 years old. I've dealt with this my whole life. What I I can't I don't have time to fix this now. 
I should have fixed it 20 years ago. So we just leave it alone. The Mm -hmm. fact is we burn off those feelings in small increments Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. over time. It makes a huge difference, Mm -hmm. a huge difference, but it's, it's in those five minute increments. That's where the magic is. Mm-hmm. And there was one thing I wanted to mention too, is thinking about people as they're going through compassion fatigue. And that could be like children who grew up in homes to be the caregiver of their parents. Yes. And when they become people who might be nurses, doctors, coaches, mm-hmm. whatever, that component, and that they are not able to recognize their needs because they didn't learn that as children. Yes. But their desire to help and their capacity to help. Mm-hmm. It's true, but like that ability to check in and, and learn that skill. And does that make sense when I say that out loud? Absolutely. I think we have a lot of, especially women out there Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. have been taught that to take any time for yourself Mm -hmm. is selfishness. It might even be sinful depending on, you know, your religious Mm. practice. And is that, (laughs) oh my God, don't tell me. Absolutely. No, I mean, that's very, it's a very common thought that I have to give to other people. I have to be selfless. It's, it's a very common practice among women, especially I think younger women are starting to get the message, but it does depend a lot on how you grow up. And how so, you internalize it, right? Because how, there's how the you message, internalize it, yes. And then that's considering that the person is hope perfect, whole and complete. Yes, that's true. Right. <laughs> We're not talking about like we start right. off parts of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. But you have, you know, a lot of people think that if I take time for me, then that's selfish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe it is selfish, mm-hmm. but everything that's selfish isn't wrong or bad. Sometimes selfish <laughs> is beneficial and it, it's the first step toward being able to get back in helping right. other people and serving other people. You what can't a- serve other people if you don't take some time for yourself. Corinne teaches us that all the time, right? Like that selfish, you ask yourself, am I hurting someone? Is my intent to hurt someone? If that helps give you some traction on considering whether you're being selfish or not, or selfless, I'm wanted to just toss that out there because self-care is selfless. It allows you to show up a greater capacity to serve others. Yes. All right. Anything else you want to say about compassion fatigue and how to combat mm-hmm. it? Take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Just start today. If you're whatever you are not doing or doing, you know, just Tapping in, allowing yourself that space to be human and to acknowledge that, yeah, this part of my human existence or where I'm at or my mindset and checking in, yeah, it may not, it may, it might suck right now and that's okay. Yeah. But I have the ability to adjust my mindset. And when I know where I'm at, when I know what I'm doing, finding those breaks, where can I take some time off? How can I get five minutes more of sleep? Yes. How can I get some movement in today? Who can I connect with? Yeah. Think about it in five minute increments. I love Mm -hmm. that because most of us are going to have five minute increments that we can Mm -hmm. take out of a day Mm -hmm. to burn off, to sleep extra, whatever it is. I'm going to tell you what, from one to two every day, you want to know where coach Judith is? 
<laughs> you see my little calm app mm-hmm. <laughs> on my Instagram. You'll see. I'm doing a, I'm doing a meditation. Sometimes I sleep, sometimes I fall asleep and sometimes I don't, but it's about a 25 minute. That's it. Yeah. It has a, it's a nice reset. Yes. All right. Well, if you are looking for coaching or someone to help you work through compassion fatigue, any other issues that empowered women are experiencing, you can find me at soniagreencoaching.com or I'm going to remember it today on Instagram at Sonia, S-O-N-Y-A underscore green coaching. And I would be more than happy to work with you. And if you would like to work with me on some weight loss goals and the things that get in the way, like life, you can certainly find me and I'd love to coach you. Google Corinne Crabtree, losing 100 pounds with Corinne Crabtree, (laughs) no BS weight loss. uh, And you can find me there. And on the Instagram, I am just Judy, (laughs) J-U-D-I-E. That's it. All right. We'll be back next week. We look forward to seeing you then. Bye, y'all.